Welcome back to Ranked. I'm Charles. I'm McCurdy. And I'm Nathan. If you're just joining us, we've ranked all the Bond movies up to this point. There's 15 in the list. It's still going. Uh, a couple <laughs> things first. I've put Amazon affiliate links for this film down in the description. Yes, Ooh. we're going to start selling out. If you don't own this movie, I encourage you to go click that link and buy it there. Help yourself out by owning this movie and also help this channel out. Next, if you haven't subscribed, what the hell are you waiting for? Just do that and the bell and all that crap. Also, all of our videos are now on Rumble. What's Rumble? Do you guys know what Rumble is? No. Yeah, I've never heard of it either. It's a YouTube (laughs) competitor. Click the referral link down in the description. Sign up. It takes two seconds. Follow us over there, you know, just in case YouTube decides to dump us for McCurdy's hardcore racism. Charlie, did you make sure it's not a Chinese company? It might be. It's controlled (laughs) opposition or something. What have you you signed us up here for, Chuck? Come on. What have you you really done? We need a backup plan because I say things that are discouraging to certain classes (laughs) of individuals. You say a lot of that maybe you need to go to counseling for. (laughs) Anyway, speaking of which... Let's talk about murder! (laughs) License to Kill brings us back into the personal world of James Bond, who is on leave from service to Her Majesty's government to serve instead as Felix Leiter's best man at his wedding. The CIA frontman ceremony is briefly delayed when the DEA pulls him away to aid in the capture of Franz Sanchez, the Bondverse equivalent of the cocaine kingpin Pablo Escobar. Bond and Felix succeed in capturing their target, only to have him immediately escape custody and circle back to the lighters to feed Felix to a shark and viciously murder his new wife, Della, who to her credit lasted a lot longer than Bond's wife by several hours. <laughs> Bond swears revenge and goes rogue in order to avenge his friend and take down Sanchez and his sprawling empire of drugs and corruption. And it's f***ing awesome! Wait, you liked this movie? (laughs) Charlie loves this movie. If you like blood and murder and, and blood... And Speaking more of murder. Blood, I was caught off guard. I didn't... Like, have all other movies been PG and this one was... PG-13 or something? Because it definitely was cranked up. Well, as we mentioned, the first PG-13 movie ever was uh, Temple uh, of Doom. Yeah, so it and that was so Temple of Doom be, and Gremlins, I think, were both. This must be the first one. This one is so violent. Somebody commented <laughs> previously, I, I, I forgive me, I can't remember who it was, but they said something like, do you agree with Barbara Broccoli, who said that this movie was unnecessarily violent? And I just want to say, Barbara, just sit down. <laughs> It's awesome. <laughs> it's so awesome. They put Benicio Del Toro in a meat grinder. <laughs> I was a little... Well, <laughs> and he's screaming, and there's like... There's a lot of dust, mist cocaine dust him. or yeah. whatever, but... Yeah, it's amazing. So let me get into it. So License to Kill represents a lot of things to the Bond franchise. In some respects, is the end of an era for a large portion of the Eon family. This film would be the first to have a completely original title, so it's not taken from any of the books. There's no book titled License to Kill. Granted, yes, it's a reference to the fact that he has a license to kill. Uh, but it's a completely original story with influences taken from the Hildebrand Rarity short story, which we kind of mentioned in uh, For Your Eyes Only, and Live and Let Die, specifically like the shark biting Felix was from that book. What did they pull from the other book? 
that the Hildebrand thing that I've never read. Oh, you know what it was? It was uh, it was Milton. Um, the guy gets exploded. Crest. He's in that book. That's what it was. Nice. Cool. Yes. So our favorite screenwriter and convoluted producer. Well, he's more convoluted screenwriter than producer. Admits that this film takes many cues from Akira Kurosawa's film Yojimbo and its Italian Western remake Sergio Leone, Fistful of Dollars. Uh, in both those films, the hero creates mistrust within the villain's organization, pits foes against foes to come out on top. You definitely see that in this movie. It's it's more of a revenge movie, um, yeah. which is kind of nice that they they pulled from something outside the Bond universe for this movie. I thought it was kind of cool. Uh, and then, of course, it also, you know, putting people into compression chambers and watching them explode. It's fun stuff. Somebody explodes in this movie? And it's not terrible. <laughs> they don't it's fart awesome. a bunch before they explode in a bloody mess. You know, it's remember Scott saying that, too. that in Live and Let Die, he literally blows up like a balloon. And there's no blood. With no blood or anything. Oh. And so it's funny. But with this, it's, it's like a Disney gritty movie. and real and disturbing. Now we actually and, have blood. And kind of over oh, the top. Once again, bad guys screaming for their life before they just <laughs> die horribly. It's just fantastic. So this film was originally titled Licensed Revoked, but they changed it because most Americans, when we think of licenses, we think of driver's license. And so it's kind of a, in their eyes, they're like, that sounds like a silly title. Like Bond got his driver's license revoked. I'm not going to go see that movie. There won't be any chase scenes in it because Bond doesn't have a driver's license. <laughs> Welcome to McCurdy's round of names that he will mispronounce. Carrie Lowell plays Pam Bovier. 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 I think it was, but yeah, Bovier. It's French, right? Bovier. French name. Yeah. Uh, the scene with Bond, uh, her having him, it's like, yo, buy some clothes, bitch. <laughs> yeah. I haven't drank That's, enough. Yep. Yeah, buy yourself some decent clothes. So she actually had short hair, and they, if you watch the movie, obviously, she's wearing a wig in the beginning of it. I saw her in the beginning. I was like, oh boy, here's Charlie's girl. If she's my girl, it's because she always just starts blasting. <laughs> Dead. You took the words right out of my mouth. She's awesome. And she can throw men over herself. Yeah, that part's obviously stupid because she <laughs> she weighs, I don't know, she weighs a buck and a quarter at the most. She probably wow. is a, under 100 yeah. pounds. Well, maybe but the Game of Thrones she just starts blasting. could do that she just, to somebody. You but. know, when, the, one of the best parts is the, when Benicio says, you're dead and she just <laughs> caps them it's awesome she's just always blasting fools i love her she came into the audition with like a leather jacket and like jeans so like you can kind of tell that she's a little more a little tomboyish but i think she's fucking badass uh, you just said like three times in a row you know what i like uh, i like her so uh get, i like her too like literally like for like, real get like f-ed. let's talk about sanchez we got robert davy plays sanchez uh, Davey is a method actor, so you know he learned how to do scuba diving Drugs. and did the Columbia did accent. Did probably did do a lot of coke. <laughs> Oh, dude, look up his look him up today. His nose is about four times bigger. Oh wow! Maybe it was all the cocaine he hoovered up in the in this production. 
I was upset no one was Hoover high up. in this movie. Davey, uh, <laughs> he'd also helped uh, cast uh, Talicia Soto, who plays Lupe, his mistress. Mm. Uh, and he told, and he played, I, I I didn't look this up. I'm assuming he played Bond in the screen test. And I think that's what it was. Uh, but there were oh. several candidates and he told the producers, like, I'd kill for her. And he does so in the movie because he kills a bunch of people because she sleeps with other people. What did he promise you? His heart. Give her his heart. No. That was part of his method thing was he started killing producers. <laughs> like, I, I will kill for her. If you sleep with her, I will kill you. We also have to point out in the last movie, we had Necros, mm-hmm. who was in Die Hard. And here we have Johnson and Johnson. I'm Agent Johnson. This is Special Agent Johnson. Oh, how you doing? No relation. We have Davey alongside Grand L. Bush. That is his name. Grand, Grand L. L. Bush <laughs> is his name. He appears as Hawkins in the beginning of the movie. But I think I'm going to be home soon, huh? Why you? Get hold of yourself. Yes, they're both Agents Johnson and Johnson, who played no in a relation. movie just a year before this movie came out. No relation. No relation. <laughs> David Hinson. I think that's how you pronounce it, right? Hinson? Hetson? Hetson? Hinson? He returns as Felix Leiter, and up until this point, he's the only actor to reprise the role of James Bond's American correspondent. He was in Live and Let Die. It's the last time you might remember him. You what? Get me a making a white pimpmobile. It's kind of jarring because he's like super old in comparison to Bond in this one. On the subject of Leiter, is he CIA still and gets pulled in by DEA or no, he is now DEA, DEA in this movie? Okay. Which I think is Are you one sure of the, about that? Yes. In this movie, he's like, he used to be CIA and now he's DEA. Did they say that, though? Because he yes. just says, my partner's in the DEA. My partner's at the DEA. Yeah, I think he moves into the DEA. That's what I took in the film. That would make sense. He's kind of slowing down, getting married. But for him to move, move into the DEA seems kind of yeah. odd versus being a CIA contact for the DEA and working with them. That's, that's how like I've always seen it, but I don't know. But we got to, on, on the note of, of Felix, though, we got to talk about how this is just oddly a spiritual successor to Live and Let Die, as you kind of touched on a little bit there. You have things like Felix, mm-hmm. right? The same Felix and yeah. a drug plot. Yeah. Live and Let Die was... You have explosions. Heroin. <laughs> it was heroin, right? Heroin. People exploding. This is cocaine. Heroin, now we got cocaine. We have Quarrel back in the form of Sharky. That is Quarrel. I think that's interesting because it's... It reminded me of like the first meeting of Bond, his first group of allies is Felix, Quarrel, and Bond and Dr. No. And so this movie, it's like yeah. the same kind of band, yeah. essentially. Sharky's basically Quarrel. Sharky but... is Quarrel. Yeah. And he even has a boat and everything. 100%. Because the bait slash fish shop from the novel Live and Let Die is the main thing that they cut out and throw into this, which includes Felix being mangled by a shark and a note that says he disagreed with something that ate him. All of that. Quarrel, bait shop, Felix being eaten, all of that is in the book Live and Let Die. So it's just really interesting that they would then bring back the same Felix from Live and Let Die. They had to have been aware of what they were doing there. And I find it really interesting that they've essentially run out of books at this point. Mm -hmm. Somewhat. Hmm. But... For the most part, they have. So they're just kind of pilfering things from here and there 
oh, we never used this, so let's take it out of this and throw it over here. Because a lot of these books, here, they, you know. they just took the titles and the character names and were like, we're not going to use the plots because some of the plots just don't work for action movies. So we're going to just make up our own plots, essentially, yeah. and maybe take things that we like. But now they're and going back, back in and living, making Living and Die. They weren't going to do a keel hauling scene because yeah. they just didn't need to. And they probably couldn't later. They, they make yeah. use of it in Fear Eyes Only. Yeah. You know, they're just kind of taking stuff from here and throwing it over there. It's, it's almost like you could watch Live and Let Die and then watch License to Kill and their spiritual yeah. sequels. You could watch them back to back. Here's a bunch of names that were in movies that you've probably seen. You've got Benicio Del Toro. This is like earliest role. <laughs> you know, is Dario. Benicio. Uh, yeah. Benicio. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, we got <laughs> Wayne Newton. Bless your heart. Okay. Because he likes Bond movies and he's like, yo, put me in a movie. And they're like, sure. Our goal today is to raise $22,000 from each of our meditation chapters. You can yeah. be the cult leader. Here you go. It was just great. When Sanchez says, This guy cracks me up. Bless like, your yeah, heart. Totally, dude. He cracks me up. He's so good. And, <laughs> and just the, the, that little detail. It's not so little, but that he's a pervert. He's just a shameless pervert is great. It's so good. Tell me, child, have you ever thought of studying here? Would that be possible? Come along. Let's see if you have the aptitude. I did have it soundproof, so nothing will disturb our meditation. That's something about this movie I find interesting because in The Living Daylights, we were saying how there are so many characters and it detracts. But in this movie, there are just as many if not more and it works you don't need any more time with any of these people because they all work in their own way even the cult leader is in a couple of scenes and you don't need any more than that he's great because it all at the top you have sanchez and there's so much of sanchez that 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 works that you don't need any more time with anybody else and by the end of this movie it's like hamlet everybody just dying one by one it's just (laughs) Clearly, loves I like Charlie this movie. Loves this movie. <laughs> Charlie really loves it. And then uh, 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher the crap out of this name. Uh, Carrie uh, Hiroki uh, Tagawaga. <laughs> sure, sounds good to me. Uh, he plays Quan, the Hong Kong narcotics guy. You probably best know him from uh, Your Soul Is Mine. Your soul is mine. Your brother's soul is mine. Uh huh. Mortal Kombat, which coincidentally has another double actor appearance because it's got Lupe in it. Remember my words. Kitana, that's enough. You disappoint me. <laughs> Not very wise. And then finally, finally, if you remember, do you remember our favorite Bond ally from from? Russia with love. Because Pedro Pedro Armadeus Jr., his son. All of my key employees are my sons. So it is. Plays the president of the Republic of (laughs) Ithmus in this film. So he's back. He's not back. He's spiritually. His son is back. He complains about his paycheck. There's been a mistake with my check. Look at it. It's half the usual amount. Not bad for a man who started life breaking chains and bending bars with his teeth in a circus. You'll just have to wait. This is an old friend of mine. And it tells me something smells. Go home. 
I saw yeah. that name in the in the credits, and I thought, did he come back to life? Did he survive that helicopter crash slash shotgun blast to the chest? He died of cancer. Oh, no, wait, he shot remember himself. He I can't himself? remember. Yes, he shot himself. Okay. That's right. Yeah, what we're talking about is Pedro Armendariz was Karen Bay back in From Russia with Love. And if you didn't watch that episode, the guy had cancer the entire time they were shooting From Russia with Love. And then he, he killed himself. Uh, yeah, he blew himself away with a shotgun. Anyway, speaking of spotting interesting things in the credits, the jewelry from this movie. Did you guys spot this? Sheila Goldfinger. Interesting. Does she have a company called Goldfinger? Maybe Sheila's shown up in other movies and I never caught it. But the name Goldfinger certainly pops up, you know, highlighted when you see it in, in these credits. Like I said before, this film marks the end for many in the franchise. After directing five films in a row, John Glenn, this is his last movie that he directs. Actor Robert Brown as M and Caroline Bliss as Moneypenny. This is both their last films. Richard Maybaum, who wrote Dr. No and many of the other movies and pretty much kind of set the standard for most of the Bond films. This is his last film. He'll die in 91, so about two years after this film comes out. Maurice Bender, who did all of the title sequences for all these movies from Dr. No till now. This is his last movie, and he also will pass away in 1991, two years after this film is released. And then you have probably most noteworthy, yes, Timothy Dalton. We all know this is his last movie, and we'll talk about Timothy Dalton. But most noteworthy, this is Albert R. Broccoli's last film, the owner and co-creator of Eon Productions. This is his last film that he is uh, producing. So this movie kind of marks the end of a huge era. So who the hell are we going to toast to tonight? I know. It's like you got this huge (laughs) group of people that it's like, yeah, this is their last movie, and... We're you each going to do a Charlie, keg stand and yeah. just shout all their names. Yeah, so it's it's a it's it's a it's a lot of people who kind of for you know they've been doing these movies since the '60s. It's time for a lot of these people to either retire or for various reasons they will get to, and I think the next episode as to why things went the way they did. But yeah, this is the end of a long run for a lot of these people. So Nathan, is this your first time seeing License to Kill? And did you, how did you, uh, how did you receive this movie? I received it well. I really liked it. (laughs) I knew it. I knew it. I knew this guy would come in going, I I thought his one word review would be, it's great. It's great. Quite good. He went even beyond that. That that, that was so many words. Wow. That was, that was about a dozen words you used (laughs) to describe this movie. So this one's going to be kind of tough for me because in my personal list, I believe it goes from Russia with Love, License to Kill, Goldfinger. And the fact that Goldfinger's at the top with From Russia with Love below it, for me, I'm just going to say right off the bat, and then we'll get into some fun discussion. I'm going to struggle with this one because I love me some From Russia with Love, but I think this is the first movie, really, that we should consider putting at the top. For everything we always argue about, there's really nothing other than some bullshit McCurdy's going to bring up because he's an no, there's some he's bullshit a Debbie in this Downer and okay, a good. blanket. But listen, that. Charlie, I'm going to just tell you because, you know, you're just going to be like, no, it has to be up there. You're wrong, McCurdy. It's just story. That's the only thing that matters in movies. Like if it had a good story, even if the acting and the cinematography is ass and, you know, there's a couple of like kind of weird writing shit that's in there and it's like over the top like it's still the best Bond Bond movie so much for me I'm just like whatever like if you want to put it at the top 
whatever. But I think it's I don't I'm not necessarily compelled to be like it's better than Goldfinger or From Russia with Love. It's tough. Maybe not better it's honestly than tough. From Spy Who Loved Me because like I'm like ah, it's somewhere up there. This is a very different Bond movie. This goes back yeah. to The Man with the Golden Gun when I said that movie is all about the personal, personal. world of yeah. Bond and it has a lot less to do with Her Majesty and all that stuff. That comes back in halfway through. Doesn't matter. What it comes yeah. down to is Bond versus Scaramanga. Mano y mano. You killed my friend. I came in like I usually do with not a concrete idea of where exactly, but I'm quite sure top three, and I was kind of weighing whether or not it should be number one. And I it's was hoping call, you two would kind of bat me between you guys to settle me into my final spot. I want to start off talking about stakes because we got a lot of comments after The Living Daylights about, <laughs> well, guys, not every movie has to have big world ending stakes. Listen, you can go back and watch the For Your Eyes Only episode where we specifically talked a lot about stakes. I said in that episode that I love the big stakes movies, but I prefer and really savor the small stakes stories like The Man with the Golden Gun and For Your Eyes Only. And now License to Kill is in that same category. And with Living Daylights, we weren't arguing that the stakes should have been bigger, simply that they there should have been stakes full stop. There just weren't any stakes. So everybody thought we were saying that stakes weren't big enough. We were saying, no, 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 there just weren't any at all. So that movie has no consequence for Bond's failure. Both Dalton movies, coincidentally, Bond destroys a ton of drugs. But here, the drug plot, and therefore the confusion as to why Bond would be involved with a drug plot like in Live and Let Die. With this, it's answered decisively by Bond's vendetta against Sanchez for killing Della and maiming Felix, obviously. The drugs mean nothing within this context other than they happen to be the bad guy's main occupation. They're secondary. Bond doesn't stab all those keys of cocaine because he wants to save the kids or something. He just wants to f*** up Sanchez and his operation, which all comes full circle when Hong Kong Narcotics gets pissed at him for messing up their infiltration of his network. We're Hong Kong Narcotics, you bastard! Sanchez is taking us to the heart of his operations. I've been setting it up for years! For them, it's about the drugs. For Bond, it's about Sanchez. And as Bovier says, There's more to this than your personal vendetta. So he's just this chaotic force just trying to make himself feel better and avenge his buddy, and he's messing up normal drug busting and all that leave it to the americans it's their mess let them clear it up sir they're not going to do anything i think my general issues and this going back to what we talked about with goldfinger okay pause <sighs> just fyi as usual mccurdy is misspeaking he means the man with the golden gun but whatever he'll do it again is this a bond movie or is this some other kind of movie yeah and what what it really boils down to is when you take a character and that character is known for a certain, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, jurisdiction. You expect a certain type of film, or it, it plays in a certain realm. Not to say that this movie doesn't play with that realm, but it definitely takes some liberties with, with specifically putting the DEA in Felix's court and, and kind of pulling that, the, making that the strings to try to change the trajectory of this being a spy movie and more of a revenge assassination drug movie. To me, it's like if you were to take a Batman movie and say, instead of Batman fighting crime in Gotham, Batman's going to stop uh, a meteorite, right? Like that's, that's the kind of thinking this movie does with the character. It's like, well, we're going to instead do 
uh, instead of putting our hero, James Bond, in a plot that either deals with the Cold War with the Russians or a, you know, a melocomaniac guy who who wants to pit people against each other or destroy the world, whatever. Instead, we're going to have him fight drug cartel. Uh, that's that's the one weird thing about this movie that really kind of I watch it. I don't hate the movie. It just slightly turns me off about it. It doesn't feel like a James Bond movie. Bond is a spy. And that's kind of what we need to discuss here. Bond's a spy and Goldfinger and From Russia with Love have all the spy craft. But he's also an assassin. And this is a full blooded assassination plot. So it's. It's hard to say it's not a Bond movie when it has not only all the Bond elements. You will accept my resignation, effective forthwith. Just like in Secret Service, it's him quitting the service because he wants to go take care of some personal business. In Honor Majesty's Secret Service, he had no reason to quit. He just, for some reason, wanted to go after... We, we talked about how him wanting to go after Blofeld would have made more sense if Blofeld had already killed his wife. With this... We have that. We have, and, and it's, it's all sold in that moment where he screams out Della. Della! It's all Tim Dalton. The guy nails the emotionality that you want for that. Uh, like you were saying in the last episode, McCurdy, that when Saunders dies, and in that moment, Tim Dalton rocks. But for you, you're saying, I don't, I don't care about Saunders. With this, that moment that he has with Della, full props to Tim Dalton for nailing that. With the last movie, people will criticize me and be like, well, yeah, but they, they have that moment. I'm like, yes, but that is all built off the fact that Saunders is this like, you know, book, whatever, whatever you want to call him. You know, he's B- just a butthead. He's a butthead. He's just a butthead By the, the entire time until that scene prior when he actually helps Bond. And then you're yeah. you're just like, good, you know. Yeah, you're right that it turns on a dime. Good on him. But this movie, Della, at the first time we see Della, the first time we see Felix, we know that Bond loves these guys like, in, you know, in a very endearing thing because Felix is like his buddy that he's had throughout all these adventures. The American CIA sent a man down to work, Mr. Angways. Fellow by the name of Lighter. Do you know him? I heard of him. Also, you know, obviously the first scene we see with him and Della, it's like, yeah, they have this really interesting relationship. (laughs) (laughs) That's a custom. You see, the bride always gets to kiss her best man. (gasps) (laughs) I thought it was the other way around. What do they call that again? They call it a thruple. A, a couple that's three people is a thruple, and so maybe Bond, Felix, and Della had a yeah. thruple going on. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. But we we know that Bond cares, and like if I'm going to talk well about this movie, one thing I really like about it, it goes back to one of my favorite Bond movies, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, because there's that scene where... The next one who catches this is the next one who... No. Thanks, Della. It's time I left. Oh, James. (laughs) Did I say something wrong? He was married once, but it was a long time ago. McCurdy gets his Tracy Bond reference. He knows it's a gesture of goodwill, but like it's a lot of that's that means a lot to him because that's a lot of pent up emotions because he knows that like I was married. It didn't end well. Many lady friends. But married only once. Wife killed. All right, you've made your point. 
You're sensitive, Mr. Bond. About certain things, yes. And so when Della gets killed, it's like reliving all of that over again. Della! It's Tracy. Totally. He's now dead again. Della's his trait. Like Della, in a way, he's looking at it like this happened to my buddy Felix. You know, I dealt with this. Sanchez is going down. You know what I mean? Like that's exactly that's the best thing about this movie. I think for sure. I won't argue with that. It's all communicated in that look when he Della and runs in. That is such a heavy moment, even for Della, who we haven't known for more than five minutes. But it works so well because yeah. of Big Timmy Bond. You know, he's just rock steady. Again, though, I'll reiterate. I will reiterate my point that Della lasted a lot longer than Tracy did. <laughs> Tracy was about 15 minutes. They also handle the moment with a little more class, probably a lot more class, because first off, it's not that big a deal, but I've just never really liked that they have some donut cop pull up next to him, and then they put this sad music over, and it's a really emotional moment, and then... And then it's like, dang, 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 two, three, dang, four, dang. <laughs> Tracy is dead, she's dead, she's dead, she's dead, and Tracy's dead, Tracy's dead, Tracy is dead, she's fucking dead, Tracy's dead, you know, and, and you know, you're walking out of the theater going, what? <laughs> What's happening? But with this, it's heavy, and then he goes in the next room and he finds his best friend. And he thinks he's dead, too. And then he finds the note. I will say, though, that the odd thing about all of that, because I think that's all handled so well. The weird thing is that fast forward to the end of the movie and Bond has just completed his vendetta. He's covered in blood and all that. And he's, I've avenged Della. And then he's on the phone with Felix and Felix is like, hey, buddy, did you take (laughs) out that guy who killed my wife? I'll be up to see you next week. We'll do some fishing. Good. I'll be out by then. M called. He tried to reach you. Hey, uh, can I get some <laughs> jello in here, please? Yeah. Hey, so anyway, we're going to go fishing soon, right? Oh, my God. There should have been a scene where he goes and visits Felix and he's, he says, I got him. I got him, buddy. And he, he the two of them have a moment. But instead, hey, buddy, we're going to go on yeah. vacation soon, right? We'll probably get some too right i mean i'm single again why not hey yeah hey can you bring lupe and uh and that other big bosom you've been on an adventure with maybe we'll all go fishing with uh, sharky oh no <laughs> sharky's dead we gotta find a new quarrel to take us fishing it's so oh weird God. it's so it's such a weird <laughs> ending I think if I, okay so yeah i knew i was like going into this and i'm like god damn it charlie's just gonna like be <laughs> huge boner for this movie for the story and i'm not disagreeing with any of your points when it comes to that specific part of the story i also like uh you know i also like a lot of the fistful of dollar stuff where he's basically screwing sanchez's organization up i actually like all that stuff those men try to kill me who would do such a thing someone close to you he's making him distrust everybody so he's 
kind of taken out his own guys. Yeah. So Bond the whole, basically do the, the whole work. sequence where up leading up to Milton's head explodes is great because you don't you don't see it at first. You're like, what's Bond doing? He's going to the bank. He's getting the money. What is he going to do next? And then they yep. get on the boat and you're not sure what he's going to do. And then they leave. And then it turns out he's basically like screwing with Sanchez's head. That's not my money. I swear. That's right, amigo. It's mine. Like the but then after time. that, when he's back at Sanchez's house, he says, I got the guy who set me up. Only one guy. What do you mean? No one would be stupid enough to try to take you on on their own. That's what's so fun about the movie. And that's that's moving into my the second thing that I really want to hit past the stakes is that when it comes to my obsession of keeping Bond alive, notice how I didn't even bring it up in the living daylights because Bond's survival is so well built into the plot of the story it's not the bond movies of old when it comes to roger moore and it was a chasing after chasing and slash assassin and and all this uh fun hokey stuff we're looking at real plots that flow now you know it's not the same old how is roger moore just surviving all this stuff instead it all just flows no there's a moment in this movie that kind of comments on the goldfinger moment of like i know about operation grand slam when he is tied up and he's going to be thrown in that chopper i'm the least of your problems sanchez if you couldn't trust crest who can you trust who's got your 500 million truman lodge what about the stingers what about and the Sanchez stingers? is like, I don't give a f and he's just, you know, he gets rid of them. But remember when he said that though, when he said the stinger thing, that was him planting the seed for Sanchez to then take out Heller. And that's what's fun about the movie is that when you are that drug kingpin, you have a target on your back from everybody and you really don't know who to trust. And Sanchez brings it up throughout. It's just like loyalty is more important to me than I can trust these people. And, then, he, and yeah. he keeps saying that. My organization, 100% trust. And then Bond keeps pointing out that he might be wrong. And sometimes Bond is telling the truth, and other times he's just trying to mess with them. And that's what's so fun about it. And that's what I mean. The whole keeping Bond alive thing is, is, is him infiltrating and kind of becoming something of an hermano with Sanchez, right? That's, what's, <laughs> that, that's where the whole keep Bond alive thing is, is believable. It worked in The Living Daylights because they were manipulating him to kill Pushkin. And then once they don't need him anymore, they try to ship him to Russia and he escapes and thwarts their plans and all that. But with License to Kill, Bond is, quote, kept alive because he works his way into Sanchez's operation and gets close to him. That's such a fresh take on the whole concept of why does Bond keep surviving the movie? It's not contrived at all. It's Bond unleashed and just with this incredible vendetta to take down this one guy. Mind games. Char, did you notice the Dolph humanoid looking thing in the apartment Sanchez puts Bond in? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he wakes up and he's like, what the? Jeez. I never thought of that as a Dolph humanoid. Yes. It is written. It is written. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, let's start at the beginning, though. Let's just go back to the beginning. The prologue. The prologue is such a solid and beautifully far-fetched little story where it's (laughs) 
just when they're headed to a wedding, they get called off to go catch Pablo Escobar. Follow us. And then they do with the fun fishing thing, which, by the way, we get to see the advantage of having a young Bond in this movie several times. Timmy Bond does a whole bunch of stuff. But anyway, and then once they do it, once they capture him and their fun little let's go fishing thing. Let's go fishing! The wedding happens to be right below them. It's beautifully far-fetched. It's fun. Let's go, James! I hate it. Why do you hate it? Because you're a wet blanket. You're always the wet blanket. I am not the wet blanket. You're just an asshole. He's like, these movies are great. I thought it was good. I like how the ladies behind the two gentlemen lift their parachutes just like the bride's dresses or whatever. I get, okay, like I can, for me, it's like the movie kind of starts off kind of weak and I actually like the middle part of the movie more because the beginning I'm like, Okay, the the prologue. What is it for though? One, what is it though? Hold on. The prologue for one feels like it was rushed. Like they had more that they wanted to do, or they wanted to elongate it a little bit more. And the edit feels very rushed to me. Especially the fact that they have a slow mo scene for some reason. They have a slow mo shot of him running, and they're like gritty to the like, plane uh, for yeah. no reason. Like it's it really comes out of nowhere. It really feels like they were like, well, we gotta we gotta make this bond basically what all the 80s action movies were so we're gonna put this slow-mo shot in the movie because like we've been saying for a while like every bond movie after these first six are trying to whatever's hot right now in this movie yep. it's like uh what's really hot uh movies that deal with uh drugs and revenge that's what's hot let's make this movie that florida and in some ways i Cigarette think it really boat. works and in other ways when it comes to the filmmaking techniques of the movie it's like John, why? Like, Glenn, why Why the slow-mo shot? It just doesn't doesn't make sense. Why did you think that would be a great idea for them to be in, like, wedding tuxedos? It's kind of, I don't know. That's To me, I'm like, what? But that's why I say it's beautifully far-fetched. The timing is only what a movie could have. And, again, they happen to be on the way to the wedding when they get sure. interrupted. And, I mean, it's <laughs> it's... As you once famously put it, you can buy one or two plot conveniences in the beginning. Sure. And it's conveniently not that far from where he's at. And I'm just like, all right, cool. Way I think they did it the way they did as far as the whole wedding thing and them going to catch it. Because two, they had to kill two birds and they were like, okay, well, Mm. we have to set up Felix and the wedding. And we also have to set up the villain and this revenge plot. So we got to we got to we can't just have Sanchez kill, you know, these people. We have to really give reason as to why Sanchez is a bad dude and why, like, he has to get him. So let's have this thing where we have him going to the wedding. And then while they're going to the wedding, the DA is like, yo, Felix, get in the helicopter. We're going to go get Sanchez. We found him. And Which, like, by the way, what they, what they say right there, though, they say Sanchez is in the Bahamas. And he says, did you clear it with Nassau? Nassau. Have you cleared it with Nassau? We've got the green light. Nassau. <laughs> did you catch that? <laughs> Nassau. Nassau. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's the one thing I like, I, I start the movie off and I'm just like, 
But they, okay, okay. It's so very, why is he there, though? They're there because Lupe has been banging some dude. Yeah, Sanchez don't like it, and he going to kill for her. You know, we get a little Bond girl sympathy right there, because, you know, he's I whipping her it. and all that. Um, it, they set up all this stuff great. all at you once. Love it. I get and it. it's, but, but what is the... It's great, Charlie, again, I know, you love it. It's so it's, great. It's 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 fun, amazing. You love it. Let's go fishing. It it's fun. And then and then they jump out of the helicopter and go to the wedding. It's it doesn't make any spatial sense. It doesn't make You're any right, spatial sense. But it it hits emotionally. It's great. It's fun. They they. Okay. Uh, it's Charlie. Let, I want to talk about something completely prologue. different. I want to shift gears real quick. And there's something okay. I do want to talk about because you and I did talk about this kind of a little bit in the last film. One of the criticisms of this movie, and I don't think it ruins necessarily the whole movie by any means. After watching it, I'm like, yeah, it's fine. But it definitely sticks out is the cinematography in this movie. And you had said the last time that the cinematography for the previous movie looked like an older film. It compared made it look to the older one than that. Roger Moore movies. So yeah. I looked it up. Alec Mills was the DP on this movie and the previous film. And he'd been a camera operator on subsequent uh, Bond films, as well as like Return of the Jedi and some other movies. You know what? Get f***ed, okay? I'm really tired of this. <laughs> Subsequent. I like Subsequent. it. Subsequent. Subsequent. It's like, it's like, uh, it's like iconic. Subsequent. Iconic, you know, we got subsequent. some subs in this movie. We have some subs in bon this nauseum. movie. Subsequent. Okay, you, you done? Okay, the cinematography, I agree. There's this weird thing going on. Here's the basic approach that I think they had. If you imagine their lighting plan, yes, cinematographers draw lighting plans. They have the space mapped out and they draw where their lights are going to go. And it's almost as if every single shot, imagine at the top of every frame, they said, we're just going to have one big light over the whole top like this. And we're just going to blast that light over the camera, just, you know, mm. in a horizontal fashion across the entire top. There are numerous shots where there's just a white streak across the entire top of the frame. And I don't know if it has to do with the whole, you know, Miami Vice, cocaine life, Caribbean, South American feel to this movie. But every shot just has this white beam across the entire top. I didn't notice and it's that got at that, all. <laughs> it, but it's got that problem that we talked about last time where it's a lot of front light. Yeah, it's a lot of front lighting. The highlights are very blown out, a lot of shots. And yeah. for comparison, like I really thought about this because I was like, well, there's a lot of scenes in extravagant like ballrooms where there's a lot of wood paneling. And for a movie that is supposed to be dark as far as the things that happen and the fact that it's a revenge plot, you would yeah. think that they would try to play up more of the contrast and make it seem like the light mm. is all coming from all of the lamps and things in the room. But totally. this movie decides to go for like this old style of like lighting everything, uh, almost like stage lighting versus let's yeah. try to make it look real and gritty. And think of Sanchez's office, right? The, the office with the Armalite. It's hmm. every shot. It's just blasting it. You know, yeah. it's it's and, and again, I it's almost as if they thought, I don't know, it, it'll make us feel as though we're in Florida, as though we're in yeah, South America. This movie, America. this movie was shot also in Mexico. And I also wonder hmm. if it's if there was some kind of teleno uh, like, you know, Spanish soap opera influence yep. to it. You know, like if that if that had anything to do with it. Yeah, so there are times where, uh, yeah. because of all that, the cinematography looks cheap. 
Um, I, yeah. I, on subsequent viewings, subsequently to Nan's point, it it went away for me. I, I I watched it several times in a row, and I and the first time I was going, God, this movie looks awful. The second time I didn't even notice. The third time I didn't even notice. But that that first time, uh, you know, whatever. I think I had watched some other movie where, like you were saying, McCurdy. You know, had I watched Batman '89, I'd be I'd be in that dark mood and then i'd be going why don't why isn't there a dark mood to this but yeah that side of my brain that tries to justify it they are in these bright spots of the world and maybe that's what they were going for or they just didn't know what they were doing but if anything's gonna look cheap the one thing that really hilariously looks cheap the maggots the fucking maggots <laughs> the fishing lures <laughs> they're just fishing lures and they, and they just, just like had someone under them yeah and, and they, they did a little asmr like <laughs> Yeah, it's just I don't uh, just couldn't you just go to a, an actual bait shop and just get a bunch of worms and dump them in there? Yeah. But whatever. Tim Dalton didn't want to stick his hand in worms. At that same moment, we have the return of Bon Appetit. Bon Appetit. Bon Appetit. They reuse a Bond joke in that moment. And then... It looks like it came to a dead end. Something else, though, that Bond keeps saying. The whole movie, he just keeps trying to get rid of everybody. Just fly me in and leave. Thanks for everything. Your job's finished. I want to stay. Too dangerous. This is no place for you, Q. Go home. Your job's done. Take Q and fly out of here now. I'd like to stay. I work better alone. Goodbye, Q. Thanks for all you've done. What? Now go. I'll see you back in London. I told you to leave, Q. Get your bags packed, Q. This is where you leave. Take the plane. I'll see you both in Miami. It'll be safer on my own. I can't help me anymore. You don't mean that. Go home. Pack Pam. your bags, He's Q. Trying to get rid of Pam. You're done. I'll <laughs> see you back in London. Pam, get out of here. You're done. You're all done. Get away. I'm better alone. You know, it just throughout the movie, he just keeps doing that same thing. There's a few other things that just stuck out to me. Like when he's repelling and he touches that statue's boob, a car horn goes off. Yeah, and then coincidentally, Bond honks a horn when he gets a boner. <laughs> There's a ninja who has like a Spider-Man net. I assume you guys noticed this. When Sanchez is shooting the semi and he's under it and it does the Bond theme. Well, okay, wait, hang on. Go back to the assassin. Now, Nance, I know you know some Japanese and not Chinese, but can you clarify something for me? There's a moment when the Chinese ninja assassin person grabs his camera gun and i swear they say say cheese in chinese but i don't know what cheese is in chinese but he points the camera gun at bond and says say chua <laughs> i don't know I'd have i want to see an, the i want confirmation that they said say cheese because uh, 30 seconds before that bond says watch the birdie you bastard which is a camera joke. It's a photography joke. And then, and then this assassin points the camera gun at him and Sichua! <laughs> I swear that's what he said. I didn't catch that. Please, if anybody out there knows Mandarin Chinese, I need to know if, if that's what this is. This private vendetta of yours could easily compromise Her Majesty's government. You have an assignment. And I expect you to carry it out objectively and professionally. Then you have my resignation, sir. We're not a country club, 007. Effective immediately. 
Your license to kill is revoked. Once again, there's this commonality between the Dalton movies where Timmy Bond and M are at odds. There's just nothing but tension between them in The Living Daylights. And then with this, there's nothing but extreme tension between them. Because he's saying, you know, the whole crux of the movie is you have to come in or you're supposed to be in Istanbul. You're, you're working for the queen, bro. And you want to go gallivanting around the world to kill, uh, to avenge your buddy. And that has nothing to do with us. And, you know, if anything, I, I like cocaine and I don't want you to stop cocaine. Remember, McCurdy, when you said it was never confirmed if this was the same M that we had way back as yeah. far as Dr. No. Or if this is a new person entirely. Yeah, it's never specific if M stands for Miles or if M is a title. My point being, though, that this specific M, when he took over, this new actor Mm -hmm. who had been in The Spy Who Loved Me as an admiral, it might be a new M because The Living Daylight's M doesn't act like his predecessor. And then now we have the same kind of asshole before m was something of a father figure to bond and now he's just a strict manager and it's not like we could ever know for sure but my whole point is that just the performance is as different as when we had our sitting in the chair speaking very softly blofeld to then suddenly have the kill bond now blofeld this m is just so much more emotional and not the cool calm collected father figure that we had back with bernard you know, you're a soldier, you're a blunt instrument to pull a trigger and all that stuff, you know, so it, it's kind of yeah, interesting. I'm inclined but anyway, to so. agree with that M, though. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not yeah, doing yeah. his job. Yeah, but I'm talking about this in tandem with The Living Daylights, mm-hmm. where in The Living Daylights, he's just kind of reckless and hasty and doesn't seem to trust Bond's assessments and instincts of what's going on. I have to make a split-second decision. It was instinct. I'll recall W8 from Hong Kong. He can do it. He doesn't know Pushkin. He follows orders, not instincts. Which, if you think about it, really, really doesn't make sense because Bond is a double O, which literally means the guy is trusted to make life and death decisions in the field. Which, don't get me wrong, him taking his license to kill away in this movie makes total sense. But I'm mostly talking about how in The Living Daylights, there's just this conflict between them that just seems contrived whereas they could have easily just had m say ah my hands are tied you know they want to kill pushkin we have to go do it regardless of what you and i think Uh, this uh plot to kill agent sounds rather far-fetched sir i know general pushkin do you think i don't it's strange that the character changes from yeah from even what was it moonraker we were we had talked about how like they are he, he always Bond. agrees with them he always trusts them mm-hmm. and everything. Hey, trust this him. movie yeah. he doesn't so yeah and i because yeah. okay here's the thing here's the thing he does stop the guy from shooting bond right he grabs the gun but he says don't you too many people he doesn't stop him because he doesn't want bond to be killed he he just says too many people. M of the past, Bernard Lee. Bernard Lee. He probably would have helped Bond. Absolutely out of the question. If the PM gets to hear of this, he'd hang me from the yard arm. Officially, you won't know a thing about it, sir. He probably would have officially said, you need to come in and you need to stop being a jackass. 
and then he he would have maybe helped. He would have facilitated like his escape wink, wink, a little nudge, bit. Nudge, like, exactly. Hey. And with this, we just have we can't condone this. Just but, yeah, he's a different I M. He's it. got. He just feels like a different M entirely. But anyway, so fast forwarding past that to Q. Oh no, wait, go before that because we have well, Miss Money Penny who's yeah. like trying to help Bond. Is like I'm worried about Bond. He's got to be stopped. I've already alerted our man in this one. Q Branch, please. You know, the guy who sexually harasses me at work constantly. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so, but she's worried about him. And then M finds out and is like, what are you doing? And he figures out that she had tried to grab intel to figure out where Bond was at at that time. Yeah. So then she calls Q Branch. And then that's when, you know, your uncle's in the suite and all that stuff. Which is fun. I like seeing Q in the field. Really 007. Q. What the hell are you doing here? Yeah. Such a good line with, uh, if not for Q Branch, you'd have been dead long ago. Q definitely like great. lightens the mood of this movie a little bit yeah. where you're like okay. Bring the rolls around to the front of the hotel. Yes sir. And he's constantly shaking his head. It's always just like he's just always upset because he's that surrounded these women, by chicks These the women time, aren't right? all over him like Octopussy. Remember Octopussy? He got some Octopussy. You know when we talked about Goldfinger and how Guy Hamilton had made that decision where he's like you know Q does not like Bond and uh, the reason is because Bond always screws up all of his gadgets and you know he has to you know, he breaks the car or whatever it happens and, yep. it, you know, comes back in pieces. And then and what does movie... Q do with his own gadget? What? He's always saying you need to return these in one piece and stop yeah. breaking everything. And then what does Q do with his broom? He just throws it. Yeah. He just throws <laughs> it in the bushes. <laughs> Either Wilson or Glenn just kind of went off of Q and Bond or like, buddies and then now M and Bond are at odds so it was kind of like a reversal in that respect yeah and the living daylights you don't necessarily get the same level of Q hates him morning Q they seem to like each other more with this it's kind of sweet I know exactly what you're up to and quite frankly you're going to need my help Remember, if it hadn't been for Q Branch, you'd have been dead long ago. He's glad to see him versus it's like a, a hind it's like a problem. Yeah, and and so it's 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 clearly a, just like all these movies, it's a, it's a continuation and it's not jumping to the past or anything like that, but they've been through a lot together. So when he says that line, if not for Q Branch, you'd have been dead long ago, it is and and the simple fact that he would show up it's a testament to Tim Dalton, I'd say, where he is less antagonistic. He's more just kind of fun with Q. Up until then, it was always a lot of jokes at Q's expense and a lot of tomfoolery and all that. And in fact, the old school, you know, don't touch that, stop messing with these things, they give that to Bovier. Gah! Stop fiddling about with things you don't understand. I mean, you're right. There is this kind of reversal where it, it is literally Uncle Q... Yeah. And then M is the asshole. M yeah. is the, you know, everything by the book. It's and like he's more Saunders. So anyway, what I was saying is that all the stuff with Q has a theme. It's all everything for a man on holiday. Explosive alarm clock guaranteed never to wake up anybody who uses it. Dentonite toothpaste to be used sparingly. Everything is disguised. And it's interesting because Bond actually gets his Walther taken away. And then from there, he's reliant on Bouvier's guns. Again, I love her because she just always has guns in reach. She's just great. But uh, he, he's got her Tiny thigh gun. gun. And then the camera gun, which is kind of goofy, but it all makes sense because um, I don't know if it's that guns aren't allowed in, in Isthmus, but, you know, 
anytime. Did she you know, have multiple guns? Because she takes yeah, her she, gun. She, he to... takes her gun and then she pulls out another one. Yeah, <laughs> she had it in the purse. Yeah. What's funny is that, you know, we'll hint here and there how Bond kind of handles feminism on top of being a generally misogynistic dude. And when they have that scene where they're in the hotel. No, my executive secretary, Miss Kennedy, will take care of that. Ms. Kennedy, and why can't you be my executive secretary? Every time I hear that line, I'm like, bitch, I'm the one with the five million dollars. <laughs> what do you have? <laughs> like, why would that doesn't make any sense? There's nothing sexist about this. I'm the one who just stole five million bucks. What's funny is right before that, when they're negotiating, right? She says, I couldn't do this for less than a hundred grand, and he says, 60. 90. 70. He's got five million bucks, and he's still lowballing her. In love. <laughs> yeah, for me, the that was the weakest part. Is like her and the other one seemingly just falling in love with Bond for just out of nowhere. With Lupe, it's a little more believable, but with with Bouvier, it really feels like it comes out of nowhere that she's attracted to Bond. Like it feels that way because there's nothing leading up to that moment. It really doesn't. It's like, yes, I get Bond saved her. I just saved your life back there. If it wasn't for me, your ass would have been nailed to the wall. You saved my life. Yes. Where, you know, it doesn't, they don't get a lot of time together. Yeah, there's maybe like that attraction of Bond being like, oh yeah, she's hot when he first sees her. But that scene really feels weird to me. They're on the boat and they look at each other and they're they're going over this plan. And I've been like, okay, next scene. But no, we got to have Bond get with this girl. So then they should have saved that for later. They needed to keep doing this. They needed to keep butting heads and save that for later. We ran out of gas. Nothing else to do, I guess. Yeah, I guess we're going to bang. Is she (laughs) using her sex to to drive the price up or something? It is. It is. It's an odd Literally blowing their load before they should have. Probably the oddest scene of the whole movie. And it serves a function, but it's very odd, is when Lupe shows up to the hotel and she says, James is in danger. Sanchez is no fool. He's checking up on him. You know, if they find anything suspicious... Listen, it's all right. He's safely out of the country by now. You don't understand. Last night he stayed with me. But Sanchez, Harris... See, Francis, take him on a trip. They leave in an hour. You must help him. If anything happens to him, I don't know what I'll do. You know, I love James so much. Look, you must go before you're missed. Now, don't worry. We'll think of something. I love James so much. I'll be damned if I'll help him. Hi, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, hi, Mark. (laughs) That is the hi, Mark scene of this movie. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh hi, Mark. <laughs> if, I, if, if you want to, if you want to criticize me and be like, "Oh no, Ryan, the story's so good. This should be number one." I'm going to say the acting in this movie is kind of bad in some parts. And, I don't, and specifically, I don't disagree. Specifically, those two scenes kind of jump out love to me. Bond specifically, so that. much. I love yeah. Bond so much, and it's like, Glenn, you're gonna. That's the take we're going with, John. A more subtle director would have had her say, "I just, you know, she would say, I love James without saying it." She would say, I just, I, and then she'd get interrupted or cut off or something. And, and you would, you would feel it rather than her saying, because when she says it, you're going, or a better actress would have said the line and it would have been believable. Even uh, what's her face, uh, you know, who plays Pam? Like uh, there's times when she says Carrie. stuff that I'm just like, she can be okay. really good. And then she can be really bad. Exactly. I, I don't yeah. think she's great. I mean, the, the Bond girls so far have been mostly misses, right? For acting. 
So yep. it's not not a surprise. Not a surprise. <laughs> Pam does not annoy me at all. Like I actually like like yep, you, Charlie. I fine. like Pam in this movie. I like uh, you know she's a go getter and she does all this stuff and I totally believe it and all that yep. stuff. That being said, I think performance wise, she's not a like she's not the best actress we've seen. Even when she acts in the movie, she's terrible. Take me to the bridge. No, I'm his secretary. That scene's a lot of fun. And, you know, who doesn't love the moment where she suddenly is flopping out of her shirt and Bond is looking at her like, hmm. <laughs> oh, Oh, or yeah, yeah. <laughs> at this point they're cast for looks in the they future are. they'll be cast for their looks and talent and they're acting well yeah. well <laughs> yes and no yes uh we'll get there it'll yes be it'll no. be a couple movies but we will get there <laughs> sorry old buddy but two mil is a hell of a chunk of dough there's two million dollars in that suitcase i'll split it with you as i've said a million times Bond doesn't care about money as much as he cares about loyalty to country. In this movie, it's less about loyalty to country, though, and more about loyalty to his friend. This is the best instance of that. You want it. You keep it, old buddy. That's the best instance of Bond saying money means nothing to me. What's funny is that he wastes $2 million, but then when he comes across $5 million, he's celebrating. You're like, yeah. But that's because at that point, he had lost his license to spend gold sovereigns or whatever. Mm. I was getting like dumb and dumber vibes when they <laughs> start handing money to all the <laughs> yeah, hotel yeah, people yeah. and showing yeah. up in it's a like, cream Thank you very much. It's like, yeah. where did Bond get that cigarette boat? He just bought it, I guess. But he, I think <laughs> yeah. what's great about this is that Bond uses it as a tool rather than yeah, using yeah. it as exactly. a... It's a means uh, to an end. It's a tool for him. It's, it's essentially, yeah. it's the best gadget in this movie is the money because he uses it in such a great way. It's not like at the end of the movie he has any money. He uses uses that money to get in with Sanchez. That's the guy that flew it in the private plane today. Opened the account at the bank. Five million dollars in cash. And then he withdraws all of it to frame Crest. Well, you should buy Felix like a RoboCop leg or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that has Stinger missiles that come out of it. <laughs> if you think about it, though, the reason why he gets in with Sanchez is they say this is the guy who flew in on a private plane today. He deposited five million bucks. But then he withdraws the five million bucks. Do you think they told Sanchez about that? Sanchez is no fool. And Sanchez didn't put together that suddenly there was a bunch of money in Crest's pit, you know? It, yeah. It's it's something of a plot hole, but not really. But all in all, I really appreciate this whole concept of Bond and Sanchez having those two things in common. They both value loyalty and trust over money. Everyone in my organization is 100% loyal. Then you have nothing to worry about. Don't worry. It's only money. Sanchez has a lot of money. Bond does not have a lot of money. All the same, they share that. Thanks, Mr. Chris. Guess what? His name was Sharky. <laughs> I think the ultra violence of this movie is kicked off. I mean, you've got the torture of Felix and all that, but I think the ultra violence is kicked off after the death of Sharky. And you have to love the moment where he steps out and just says, Compliments of Sharky. compliments of shocky and just blast that guy with with no regard for the fact that he's surrounded by bad guys that's the fun of this movie is stuff like that where bond's on this suicidal revenge plot where he just doesn't give yeah. a f he shoots the guy 
point blank <laughs> just gets just, killed. He just it's laughable. That, that seems this funny. movie is so again. Barbara Broccoli, go home. <laughs> go home. This movie's I, uh... awesome. <laughs> anyway, I want to talk about Dario. Speaking of violence, I want to talk about Dario. I think that. You know, obviously, had they known that Benicio would have the career he had, they would have beefed him up a bit. I think he stands out, though. He stands out. He's Benicio. He stands out. (laughs) You know that was his idea to do the knife thing, right? Because Benicio is kind of like Johnny Depp. Benicio and Johnny Depp are similar actors so far as they're professional weirdos. (laughs) What? I go to that fantastic note. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're really good at coming up with just weirdo things. Oh, this character, I'm going to have them do this thing, and they're going to be a weirdo. They're professional weirdos. So he certainly stands out. What's interesting, though, is that his whole function is to just be a bridge for the plot so that you have a reason for why Bond has to freak out at the end. In the last movie, Bond was recognized, and it was his fault, and I said several times that was kind of weird that Bond didn't cover his face so he was discovered by Koskov you may remove your masks now gentlemen with this though he didn't anticipate that Dario would be there so he's kind of caught off guard he's got the mask on and then he still recognizes him and he has to take it off I know him he's an informer I'm laughing because of the mask scene because the first thing I thought of was like well, this is interesting because this is what we're living through now. And all these people are in these masks. And I'm like, that's weird. Yeah. If only Bond would have just kept his fucking mask on, we wouldn't be dealing with any of this. <laughs> if Bond was just a better person and would put the fucking mask on. Ch- shut up, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> shut the fuck Anyway, up. so, but my, my, what I'm getting at, though, is that I'm sure Dario was originally scripted as just a guy, right? And that was his whole function. Little did they know they they cast one of the, you know, one of the best, best weirdos actors. in Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. Best yeah. weirdos in Hollywood. <laughs> but what they should have kind of realized as they were making it was that Dario and Sanchez, Dario should have been a Sanchez. He mm. should have been Franz's hermano. They should have been brothers. They act like brothers. They look like brothers. There's this somewhat of an emotional connection between them. Every time they see each other, they're hugging and all that. They should, that should have been his hermano. His little brother. And then had that added to the movie, then it would have been even bigger thing if he got killed. Mm -hmm. And then Sanchez found out. And then we could put the revenge theme in the movie more. Hamlet. Hamlet, dude. I mean, they, 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 I, I, they almost. I agree. If you you watch the movie on with the audio off, you would assume that they were brothers. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's just, ugh. Yeah, but it's one of those things where I don't need them to, we don't need to say it, but we definitely feel it. And it's one of those, we're in a crime family. He keeps saying uh, loyalty is number one, loyalty is number one. And then he has his brother there and his brother is loyal to the end. And then Bond ends up killing him. All we get is the impression that Dario maybe has been around for a long time and has rose through the ranks, like, mm. and has established that trust. But yeah, if it was a brother, that would take it to a whole nother level. Totally. That would be cool. Yeah. 
Yeah. It just, it seemed like it was something that they could have just put in, you know, when she says, It's Dario. He's bad news. He used to be with the Conscious before they kicked him out. Just the kind of guy Sanchez would send. They could have just said, oh, that's Dario. That's Sanchez's brother. Yeah. And then, boom, you didn't need to do anything more than that because they're, they're again, they're always embracing each other. They, they seem brotherly. Unlike every other person in this movie, as far as his henchmen go, there's yeah. not that connection. Except with maybe Heller. Him and Heller seem pretty tight. Heller's the guy who gets killed with the forklift? Yeah, he's Sanchez's head of security, but he's also a colonel in the military. When Bond gets captured, he's the one who... Fuego! Ah! He's the one shooting the building with the tank. Yeah. Oh, okay. (laughs) He's in the uniform and he takes the headset off. Yeah. Yeah. Did you find that the Stinger subplot thing was a little off? I didn't fully understand it. A lot of this movie directly comes from, I mean, again, if you haven't seen Narcos, go watch it. It's amazing. The whole Pablo Escobar story is incredible. This takes so much of Pablo Escobar and uses it. It's almost as if our man Michael G. Wilson read some Time magazine article about everything that Pablo was doing, and he took all of that, whether it was, I think, the whole gasoline plot, the Stinger missiles, and the shooting down of a civilian flight. Because that that's what the whole Stinger thing was, was um, if they didn't drop the case, if the DEA didn't drop the case, he was going to shoot down a civilian commercial okay. flight. And that's why mm. that's there, because uh, uh, Pablo Escobar actually did that. This movie, when they when they talked about in the press releases, they said it's ripped from the headline. So I'm assuming they're yeah. talking about. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. They mm-hmm. pulled a law and order with this. And yeah. so that's why that Stinger missile thing is there. With this, it's a really confusing scene. I had to rewind a couple times because when he has Pam, remember, so he's about to shoot Sanchez through the Armalite, and then that's when he gets taken by the ninjas. But in that moment, he sees Pam, and Pam Mm -hmm. is meeting with Heller because she had a deal with Heller that he was going to retrieve the Stingers in exchange for immunity. Sanchez has arranged to buy four Stinger missiles from the Contras. And he's threatened to shoot down an American airliner if the DEA doesn't lay off. What's that got to do with you and Heller? Felix gave me a letter at his wedding from the attorney general granting Heller immunity if he gets the stingers back. So Heller already was somewhat turned against Sanchez. What about the stingers? What do you know about stingers? Where's Heller? I don't know. That's the last you see of Heller and your stingers. So Bond thinks that she is working with Sanchez, and when he confronts her, she lays it all out. But she lays it out so quickly, and at that point, you don't really know who Heller is. You've heard the name, but you don't really know who he is. You have to have watched the movie a couple times. She basically lays it all out. And then you missed Sanchez. And Heller panicked, and he said the deal was off. But then, fast forward to the end, and it seems as if what Heller is doing when he says, I was making sure these were secure. It's a good idea. He was considering taking them so that he could still fulfill the deal and get immunity. I did not pick that up. So that's to me that that red like as I'm watching this movie, it's like the yeah. a lot of it is straightforward, which I agree. I think is Maybomb. And then the things that yeah. were like, oh, this this plot twist and this this organization. I was like, that's Wilson. That's got to be yeah, Wilson. the betrayal. The betrayal is totally. Totally, Wilson. Wouldn't surprise me. Uh, I did. I don't think I mentioned this, but uh, Maybaum and Wilson are credited. Part, there was a writer's strike in between this movie, so Wilson had to write most of it. As I was reading that, I was like, "There's no way 
there's no way because this movie yeah, isn't maybe we super had it convoluted. Wrong. Maybe it was Maybomb. Maybe, maybe it was Maybomb. In his we old age, it's like, so then so-and-so betrays so-and-so. And and Wilson's going, I know I'm the younger one, but none of what you're saying makes sense. But no, Koskov, Koskov betrayed. And then it was uh, Christados. And then they're going to have, there's going to be two train cars and they're going to be exactly alike. And then one's going to have the bomb and one's going to have this. <laughs> yeah, but, and, then like, and one's looking at each other like, why? Because it's, it's great. They're both twins. He's visiting his his uh, stepdad, Cubby Broccoli, and he's going, dude, Maybomb is nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Maybomb's yes. crazy, dude. Nothing, none of these scripts are going to make sense, dude. And this whole time we've been blaming... One thing I do love Wilson. is that we have we have kind of nailed that down where we where I don't know if people have pointed that out before. But as we're watching these movies and we're commenting on the plots and stuff, I do think we have pointed out an issue with the scripts of some of these. And I definitely think you see it with Wilson. Once Wilson enters the fold with these movies, there's a lot more betrayals and and things that are very convoluted and 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 just too much and i think yeah. i do still think maybaum had a much more clear you know this is the plot bond goes here this happens to bond and not trying to over uh you know oversaturate it with too much stuff i think luckily with this being a revenge story i don't think there had to be as many twists and turns we definitely get the twists and turns with the hong kong uh narcotics police but I think it helps the movie because it, it allows for bond to be on uh, Sanchez's good side and all that stuff. Yeah. And it's showing again that bond is interrupting the general flow of law and order in order to fulfill his own vendetta, which again, Bouvier points out, you know, we could have had him through Heller, but you messed that up. I mean, there've been other movies with convoluted plots would you say this one, I mean, this doesn't seem as convoluted as some of the bad ones, especially if, Charlie, you said you rewatch it and you're like, okay, I get it. It all checks out. Yeah. This one works better mainly because the simplest form of the plot is that Bond's friend gets almost killed, his wife gets killed, and he has to go after him. Right yeah, away, I already know what I need really to need to know about this movie, and yeah. it, there's no, like, weird, there's jewels and the russian army and afghanistan and and drug deals there's not uh, any as far as there's no weird thing going on that is overly like you have to watch it five times to really understand what's going on but even and, after you watch it five times none of it makes sense with this it this, all makes like, sense but mm -hmm. you yeah. don't need to be fully aware of everything going on all you need to know is i gotta kill this motherfucker sanchez yeah. and, and, and <laughs> it's it. clear and and yeah. even when he does the thing with the money and putting it in the compression chamber and you're you're instantly you're like i got it i get what this movie is i i i can follow it you know yeah exactly so it's there's stakes there's juicy yes. stakes in this movie yeah if he doesn't mm -hmm. kill sanchez he he don't he you know he doesn't revenge his boy and the girl that he may have banged stella <laughs> stella Maybe, maybe mm. had something with i don't mm. know <laughs> interesting yeah. i talk a lot about i talk a lot about a lot of things but one of the things i bring up yeah, a lot did. is the concept of the satisfying bad guy death this movie every 
single bad guy death is so satisfying. <laughs> Every single one of them is is just uh, you just uh, uh, all of them, and probably the best one is the accountant uh, Truman Lodge. You know where the whole the time guy. the guy is so obnoxious. He's kind of like Saunders, but on the bad spectrum where he just everything is about money and he just won't stop talking about money 500 kilos i thank you i knew they'd go for it he's gonna correct me up and you have the eccentric bad guy who money means nothing to him and i mean that's essentially what pablo escobar was pablo escobar made something crazy like 50 million dollars a day the guy didn't give a about spending money and here you have this guy who just he's an he's an accountant and all he cares about is money and the whole time, you just want him to shut up. And in that moment where he's like, great job, Franz. Brilliant! Well done, Franz. Another $80 million write-off. I guess it's time to start cutting overhead. It's so satisfying. And then every bad guy death before that and after that is so satisfying. And in a world of bad guys farting themselves to death <laughs> this movie shines in that regard the vendetta the revenge is palpable to where by the end of it bond is just covered in blood and just oh uh, and then right after that you have that scene where felix is like so buddy are we going fishing <laughs> just which somewhat undercuts it but but on that note Let's talk about the death of Sanchez himself. So you have this fantastic scene that kind of echoes the um, Olive Grove scene from For Your Eyes Only, mm -hmm. where it's a downhill chase, right? But in this, Bond is, it's almost as if he has this goal of one by one, he's just slowly destroying everything that Sanchez has. And then when we get to the end... They don't have a punch for punch. I'm always saying that punch for punches are boring because it's, oh, here's Bond is just going to have a fist fight with the bad guy. You know, who cares? They they have a brief physical interaction and then and then just <sighs> utter destruction. Right. And then at that point, they're both just kind of laying there fucked up. They're both fucked up. And then we get our moment of retribution. You know, the, the whole, you know, everything comes to this point. <laughs> You could have had everything. Don't you want to know why? Part of me thinks it works really well, and the other part of me thinks that I wish they would have milked it just a little bit. Sanchez dies so quickly, and on one hand, every time I watch the scene, I'm thinking... Yeah, this works. And then I'm also thinking, oh, I kind of wish they would have milked it a little bit more, just kind of elongated it. Because if you if you pay attention to the editing, Sanchez is ready to cut Bond's head off. And he says, don't you want to know why? And then he pulls out the lighter that had been set up as one of those lighters that James loved always, Della and Felix. We love you. Thanks. <laughs> 
the gas had been turned way up. So it flames up. And Sanchez and himself, they're covered in gasoline. So, of course, this is, you know, this is going to kill him effectively. But they cut in on a close up of the lighter and the shot is the same shot from the wedding party. They didn't get a close-up of it in the desert or whatever. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm watching it now, and I re- yeah, I see exactly what you're saying, because the the continuity between the shots does not match at all. Like, he, I didn't know. Yeah. He has it in his hands like this, like he was handed to it, and then the next shot he has it holding it in his hand slightly different. And it, yeah, you're right. It happens so quickly. Yeah, I'm not just pointing out an editing flaw. I'm I'm trying to determine whether or not the scene was originally cut differently. So. I'm curious how it's scripted. Was it scripted that fast? Did they use that shot because it didn't make sense? Did they try to get a close-up of it in the desert? It works, but I wish it had been milked just a little bit. You get that reaction from Sanchez where he seems to acknowledge the name Felix. You know, he seems to read what's on it. But it's hard to tell if he's really realizing this was all about Felix or if he's just concerned that it's a lighter and he's covered in gasoline. I got the lighter and his name's Felix Lighter. Yeah, yeah. A genuine Felix Lighter. A genuine Felix Lighter. Illuminating. A genuine Felix Lighter. Illuminating. <laughs> <laughs> I get what you're saying. It's a, it's satisfying. The whole thing's built to this thing and all that stuff. What I'm saying is it works, but I wanted, I wanted just like a couple more seconds of him really realizing it. Oh shit. Like putting together, I killed your friend. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the more I think about it, what could have worked as far as your edit issue is if they had a fight and that lighter got like knocked out or he, you know, he sees the lighter as he's fighting, you know, fighting Sanchez because it like fell out or something as they're in the midst of their Maybe struggle. Maybe Sanchez picks it up and looks at it. Oh, looks at it or something. And Fights can be kind of boring because they're predictable, right? Oh, Bond's going to win. But I think you guys are onto something. I think that, you know, whether they had a fight or not, they had this massive accident where the lighter could have potentially fallen out of Bond's pocket. Sanchez finds it. He puts two and two together. And then, you know, this isn't a normal lighter. What we have is a lighter that, you know, it it shoots up, right? When Bond uses it, he's like right up on his body, right? He's close enough that a normal lighter would have done it. But what if Sanchez had found it? Sanchez reads it. They share a little bit of dialogue briefly, and then he ignites it little does he know that the thing is is set to shoot up a ball Mm. of flame something like that like a just a slowdown just like just like a minute just a little bit more time before sanchez died you're saying with the lighter with the fact that the lighter had already been tampered already done that and then he yeah you're right like sanchez could have used the lighter and tried to light a cigarette or something not knowing that it Yeah, I mean, lighting that. a cigarette when you're covered in gasoline is probably a bad idea. No. My whole point is that I think the scene works. I think it works. I wanted to just milk it a little bit. However that could have been done. I wanted to just, I wanted a little bit more satisfaction from Sanchez realizing. Bond has the cocaine gasoline in his mouth, does a fire breather move, and then he's like tripping balls looking at <laughs> Sanchez flaming. <laughs> yeah.
good old Nikolai Quack, your butt buddy Nikolai Quack, <laughs> says, License to Kill, get, get, hey, get this, McCurdy. License to Kill is uh-huh. my number one ranked Bond movie. Wow. Nikolai. License to Kill has one of the best, if not the best, villains of the franchise. An mm-hmm, awesome mm-hmm, ensemble mm-hmm. of henchmen, the best mm-hmm. Felix Leiter portrayal, violence, sure. a solid and beautiful Bond girl that made me fall for short-haired women later <laughs> on in life. Yeah, bro. Uh, some of the best action of the series, underrated locations, an underrated score, etc. I could keep going. I basically view Secret Service, Free Your Eyes Only, and License to Kill as a sort of spiritual trilogy. He's forgetting Live and Let Die. Delegates killed the same way Tracy did, which explains Bond's thirst to revenge, as you pointed out, McCurdy, butt buddy, uh, aside from Felix having been his longtime friend. The perfect end to the short but oh-so-sweet era of Dalton. Yes. Hey, Nikolai, you and I agree <laughs> for once. Nathan Philip Connors says, I love License to Kill from the Miami Vice vibe to how Bond goes rogue and infiltrates the enemy's organization to bring them down from the inside. Getting Sanchez to not trust and eliminate all his underlings because of his obsession with loyalty. It was a serious Bond before we knew we wanted a serious Bond. I think I'd put it at number three right now. My ranks always change over the years and rewatches of the movies. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's always a problem. It was Alfred Valerie, I hope I'm saying that right, Alfred, uh, who asked about the violence thing. He said, uh, I have yet to listen to your The Living Daylights review. I'm sure it's excellent and hilarious. That being said, do you agree with Barbara Broccoli that License to Kill is overly violent? As I've said repeatedly, sit down, <laughs> bitch. <laughs> this movie's awesome. Vuck. Vuck, you gotta let you gotta let me know if I'm saying your name right. Vuck Bobolo. For me, License to Kill is a good movie. Love the dark and brutal tone of the movie. Relationship between Bond and Sanchez is great, as is the chemistry between Dalton and Davi, but is too much similar to the action movies from nineteen from the nineteen eighties. That is the little issue for me as some Felix parts. Nevertheless, I enjoy watching it. So that, that kind of reflects what you've been saying, McCurdy. Which is it? It's it's Bond taking on the eighties. I'm not gonna fight you too hard on this one. I do like the themes in this movie. I do like how they bring back stuff from previous movies in a way that's interesting and kind of plays with the characters. But at the same time, I'm like, it's the same feeling I get. Why it's probably also the same way, same reason I feel the same way as I do about films like Man with the Golden Gun or Live and Let Die. They don't quite feel like Bond films, they feel like Bond and other movies rather than it being a Bond, straight up Bond movie. Charlie, you said earlier, I know you said earlier that you were like, well, it's a, you know, Bond's still an assassin and everything. And, and like I said, there's not, I don't hate, completely hate this movie. It just, I feel like I'm watching a completely different franchise when I watch this one movie. And you can definitely tell that they're trying to emulate what was popular at the time being these revenge heavy action films that are overly violent. Uh, and, and I don't think, and as I'm thinking about it, about the future films, there's only a few scenes in the future movies that I'm like, yeah, that's almost the same level of violence, specifically how much blood they show. But uh, those films, I, there's some that I think are much better than this movie. And I don't think they have to do as much with the violence. So if you're, if we're talking, if, if you're talking about the Barbara Broccoli thing, it's like, I kind of get what Barbara's saying, 
But at the same time, I'm like, it doesn't necessarily completely hurt the movie. It's just something that definitely jumps out to me is that this film doesn't feel like a Bond movie. It feels like a good movie. That's a really great revenge movie of the 80s. Just not something I would be like, yeah, it's a Bond movie. It feels like a very much of the times film that was trying to chase a trend kind of succeeds in many ways. But it doesn't feel it, it really kind of misses the mark with the classiness. I think of this movie like drinking a Corona versus drinking, you know, a scotch or something like that. That's that's maybe why I would say, like, I would agree with you. It could be a top three for me, but I don't know if it's definitely better than Goldfinger or from Russia with love. Here's the thing. I agree with all of that. All of that. This movie isn't quality just because it's violent. I mean, I just, you know, I enjoy that stuff, and it's certainly different from the previous movies, but that's kind of the point, right? This is where I say, all right, Barbara, you're totally right. You know, I get it. There's always been this classy element to James Bond. If you're judging this on Bond movies, it cannot penetrate our golden the Golden Two, yeah. The Golden Two, Goldfinger and From Rush With Love. They've been dominating since the early days of this entire show. If you're judging this based on just an awesome action movie, it's the top. It is the top. If you're judging this on Bond stuff, even though all every single Bond element is here, all of them. I mean, we even have an iguana with diamonds on it, you know, instead of a cat. Bond, James Bond. Would you get me a medium dry vodka martini? What a Shaken, I... not stirred. They're all there. Everything. I mean, just look through the credits. If you're just looking through the credits, you know, and you didn't know the story, you'd be like, oh, it's another Bond movie. That being said, though, if you're judging it based on a good movie, this is at the top. If you're judging it on Bond movies, I could see it at number three. I, I put it in. My proposition is to put it at number three. Reading through what I wrote, I said, small and personal stakes will pretty much always trump the big, stupid, repetitive stakes any day for me, uh, because the big stakes are pretty much always the same. And like, oh, the world's going to explode or whatever, you know, whatever. Dalton is, <sighs> everything I said last episode holds true here. Dalton, it's a crime that they never gave this guy a full Ian Fleming book to, to adapt. It's like I said, had he remade Dr. No, I'd have been fine with it. But, you know, Dalton's fantastic. Uh, And this time we can see firsthand why he resigns from the service and it makes total sense. On top of that, we have one of the better excuses for keeping Bond alive without sending a thousand assassins to chase him all day. In fact, the only chase scenes we get are Bond running away from his own men for five seconds and then Bond chasing the bad guy at the end and one elongated chasing but overall it is an 80s action movie it yeah. was following the trend of an 80s action movie i really don't think that brings it down it certainly doesn't diminish it for me and i'm gonna punch myself in the face do it because just don't watch comes, you do it what it comes down to is is my sweet ba- if from russia would love was at the top i would have mm-hmm. no problem putting this at number two yeah. at all but I have you don't trouble think it's better putting than it from above Russia with from Russia with Love because I just, I just love from Russia with Love. It's so, it's so just classy and perfect, and the plot is just, it's just always doing. I'm, 
making a snake pattern with my yeah. hands. It's a it's it's a good spy thriller and not in yeah. the super yes. spy like we talked about in the first episode, but it does yeah. it very very well. Yeah. So I on on one hand, I want to put it at the top. I love watching this movie. I could I could rewatch it over and over and over again. But when it comes to ranking Bond movies, I really have trouble. I mean, cuz I I I do think that if Timothy Dalton had done a couple more movies, I think people would mm. always associate him with the best Bond. I, I, it's, it is within his realm to be the best Bond. I think the movies he was in, uh, specifically uh, The Living Daylights, again, because that, most of that movie, just you don't remember most of that movie. Uh, yeah. I think that I think him just being in two movies and one of them is a movie that you barely remember. I think that that that's what brings him down. But he is the best actor when it comes to just acting chops. So far, he's the best Bond just so far as as being a strong actor. Now, is he as cool as Connery? No. Is he as charming as Moore? No. Is he as physical as your butt buddy? Lazenby? No. But when it comes to just uh, expressing emotionality, Big Timmy Bond is the best so Timmy's far. The, and, Timmy is the know, actor. He is the actor thespian. He's the, the thespian. He's the, the thespian Bonds. Bond. I'm an actor. It's an unfortunate with a, a person of his caliber and his co-stars are definitely not there oh yeah and that's exactly. the thing i think i think if anything if there's one thing that really sticks out for this movie is that one scene kind of re- and it's not just the scene but it's also the actresses really kind of puts the movie down for me a little bit and just kind of how films kind of plays into the not as classiness you know bond going to a biker bar just kind of feels a little off-putting <laughs> you know I it's like it i'm cool. going to a biker new. bar and it's like does bond yeah. go to biker bars bond doesn't do biker bars you know he does to me. <laughs> it just feels weird there's just a lot of stuff that feels out of character and out of place that's for where a bond i could film. sync up with you dude i could sync up with you so far as again i'm looking at my proposition right now and i have motherfucking goldfinger at the top still because of you assholes and then You're i got welcome. my 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 crown jewel from rush with love at number two and and i'm i'm thinking that license to kill at number th- i mean license to kill is better than all the roger moore movies clearly i could see it at three i'd feel very comfortable at three, at, at three. I feel very comfortable at three. You know, maybe going into this, I thought, no, it shouldn't be that high. But, you know, after I watched it and thought about it, I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of really it's good so story enjoyable. stuff in the movie. But the it's problem, with, I think the general movie. problem with the movie for me is one, it's just feels out of the whole thing feels out of character for a Bond film, particularly. And two, I feel like even though the things that really work, really work, I do feel like they haven't quite sanded the edges. There's a lot of a lot of mm. really like you know we you, you know how you went on a tirade about Honor Majesty's Secret Service like they didn't they didn't quite nail they 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 were trying to do the emotional bond but they didn't quite nail it. I feel yeah. like they got really close. They got really close in this one um, to the point where it's like it kind of really works because revenge stories are really easy to do. I think they they they're really easy to understand the motivations and how that all works. But I do feel like there was some sanding some polishing the you know some of the the techniques and all that stuff it wasn't it's not quite it's not quite there it's not quite perfect for me uh and that's why i feel like it's a number three we never argued the validity of the stinger 
going yes. on to the truck stunt. Yes, and I know you're going to be a big bitch about uh, it. Because <laughs> you're like, it doesn't ruin the movie, Ryan. I'm like, it's a kind of silly moment in it's the movie. It's so much fun, but I hate it because it's not realistic. Bond needs to only ever be super realistic, even though in this movie we have a camera that's a gun. We need everything to be uber realistic. And if a cool stunt happens, that's a ton of fun. I don't care. It's stupid <laughs> and I hate it. That's you, McCurdy. You no, wet blanket motherfucker. Kind of a silly, <laughs> silly stunt. It's like the stunt guys were like, yeah, we could do this. And they're like, all right, let's fuck it. Okay, wait, wait. Did they do it for real? Or did they, uh, they had to drop have. it up? There's no yeah, way. There's real. no other way. I mean, okay. When they do those stunts, there's, you know, you watch it. He has to hit something for it to tip over. So obviously they they have a ramp and they probably balance the truck the truck to, you know, stay on that one wheel. I mean, it's very, it's obviously a practical the same stunt. same as Diamonds and Forever. It's just bigger did they suspend it on a cable or something that I kept don't know. it standing I up i think it's that, real because like i don't know how you balance something like yeah. that that's it's mind-boggling to me without Practice. something supporting it but yeah um but for me though the stunt is all like the stunt is is yes outlandish and it's the type of thing that you know again if it ended up in a daniel craig movie you might be going what what the hell is this but for me for the billionth time, it goes into the realm of its fun. It's all worth it for me for that look on Timmy Bond's face as he's just like, <laughs> as, he, as he goes up to crush their car. It's awesome. If Bond just went up, that'd be one thing. But then added to that is when he comes back Smashes down and he crushes their the car. Yeah. And right. then Bouvier flies over and dusts the guys. There's just, there's all this fun there's a bunch stuff going, going on, on it's in not that just scene one that thing, it's yeah. just enjoyable. I also say that like we talked about the beginning of the movie with the plane and them catching the plane and all that stuff. As I watched this movie, I cannot not help but think Christopher Nolan watched this a lot. Oh, yes, yeah, the, sure. dude, I just re I coincidentally, I just rewatched The Dark Knight Rises and they do the exact same it's the exact let's go same, fishing thing almost where the exact they, same you know, stunt. Uh, uh, what's the next part of your plan to crush this plane with no survivors? You know, yeah. like that's. <laughs> yeah. By the way, isn't isn't uh, isn't Bane supposed to be Sean Connery? Uh, oh know. yes, rise up, people of Gotham. Oh yes, I was wondering what would break first. Yeah, there's not the you same know. truck flip, but like I can't help but think he was somewhat influenced by that the truck tip and how they flip the truck in the Dark Knight. Armored security vehicle driving off the road into the water was... And that, too. That's also in the Dark Knight. We don't need to reiterate what what we've pointed out in the past, specifically with Secret Service, but it just... When it comes to Nolan and Bond, he'll cast people who are in Bond movies. He's... Yeah, he's a big fan. Um, uh, When it comes to the the stunt, though, with the truck, I can believe... Honestly, I can believe the truck stunt more than I believe the... Skiing stunt. I think even as a kid, it bothered me. Speaking of Batman, he when he harpoons uh, the airplane and then yeah. Speaking oh, of Batman, yeah. he's yeah. under the water and he, and all these guys are grabbing at him and then he harpoons it. And he, I mean, <laughs> Batman does that right when he hits the monorail and he shoots off. Like God, there's so much Bond in in Nolan movies. But so he's water skiing behind the boat and then he pulls off to the right and. and Somehow gets up with the plane and 
grabs well, he, it. It's just that's not how skiing works. I <laughs> I guess that's fine. I mean, as as a lifelong skier, it's hard for me to believe that moment. Uh, the, the tanker, I'm I'm all for, but this when when he does the skiing thing, I'm like that's bullshit. That's bullshit. <laughs> but as you guys know, I came in really liking it, and I still really like it, obviously. But what you said a few minutes ago, McCurdy, about it maybe not being a Bond film, yeah, makes sense to kind of knock it down a couple notches from one. Because I really enjoyed the movie. I enjoyed the grittiness. I thought the special effects and the stunts and everything, but it did miss the the Bondness of. A lot of the other movies. I don't know how exactly you would weave Bondness into this plot, minus like just MI6, like somehow being okay with him going AWOL or supporting him. I think had this movie been more of get rid of the, okay, keep Robert Davey, right? Get rid of the Columbia drug cartel stuff, swap it out for Russians. I think it would have fit better that, within a Bond dude, film. Where I disagree with you there is that not every Bond movie has to be to the, the exact same thing doesn't have, all okay, the time. Fair enough. It doesn't all have to be the Russians, the but swap it out with something that's a little more in Bond's you know, range. Like, we're not dealing with drug cartels. Maybe we're dealing with the Chinese. Maybe we're dealing like if with... somehow Sanchez was a threat to the UK. Well, something more to do with the Cold War. Plug it into Britain somehow. Is what you're saying. It could be, yeah. Plug it into the best interest of Her Majesty. The trouble is that the whole idea is that Bond goes uh, rogue. Sure. Which that's is great. a cool idea. <laughs> yeah. That's what's so you cool. You could still about do that movie. story with any other. I think if, if it wasn't a drug or operation or something, I feel, I really do feel like you could still pull that story, that revenge story of but the somebody drugs are secondary. doing something. The drugs mean lighter. nothing. The drugs mean nothing. They're secondary. No, it does mean something because that's definitely playing to that 80s action film. And it definitely sets the tone of like the rest of the movie. But the focus is Sanchez, not the drugs. Living like no, Die. I, I know, but Sanchez Live and is die, a you're drug going, dealer. Why is Bond dealing with drugs? If, what does Bond have to do with drugs? With this, the drugs are secondary to the man. The target is the man. The guy could have been I, smuggling Charlie, I get that, light bulbs it, or something. I, I get that it's it, it, the man, you know, but I'm saying... I gotta destroy I'm all saying, these light bulbs, these illegal light bulbs. They're causing <sighs> little not, kids to have it, epileptic Charlie. seizures. It's a big problem. Secondary to the fact that all Sanchez I'm saying, Charlie, is All I'm saying is if you swap out a drug cartel guy with something like either it's the Chinese, a guy in China that that takes revenge on a CIA agent, Felix. It's a, a guy in Cuba, something that maybe has to actually has more to do yeah. with the politics of the Cold War rather than it being well, that's kind of a separate issue. Not the but Cold War, Bond but drug cartels has, is a separate w but, issue but from McCurdy, what Bond does. Would Bond so that's what I'm have, saying is if would you Would Bond still be motivated that. to fight back to go AWOL? Would Bond yeah, have gone Yeah, you would AWOL? still keep that. I'm not saying you would get rid of that. I would I would totally agree. You would still keep that. I'm just saying if you change the there backdrop. There must be a way to wrap it in. It could have been played even more into like it's still a Cold War story, but maybe there's complications and that that's why the UK doesn't want to get involved. They're like, there's complications here we don't want to get involved even though it, it still has to do with the cold war and spies and that kind of thing because for for me you'd think like after this mi6 would be like okay we get like you 
we're killing a, a drug kingpin or whatever. But you yeah. can't just go doing that. We have to fire well, you. Well, and we have yeah, to fire yeah. Money Punny and Q for supporting you. Like, you went Exactly. AWOL. To that point, like, and, and uh, this is where I will agree with both of you. There is no... We get a scene at the end where he talks to Felix and they plan a fishing trip. But we don't get any resolution with M. Yeah. We never, we never get a, you know... Uh, we never see Bond put on trial for murdering these all these people. <laughs> that's yeah. that's kind of a movie. The movie's over, guys. Like they sure, killed sure, the bad sure. guy yes, thing. Yes, yes, yes. But but there's not a, the logic agree, of the movie. Why doesn't M show up at that party at the end? If everybody's at that party, why is M not there? Remember, M was in the Living Daylights at the end. There was no reconciliation with M. Just M being like, we found a way to be, make it okay. I do think the end of this yeah. movie is not the Queen's one right of the better endings in the Bond franchise because no. instead of the ending being like they destroyed the bad guy's ship and now Bond's in a raft with some beautiful woman or or you know that trope that Roger Moore always used where you know what's what's Bond doing and he's sleeping with yeah. the other woman he's and all that stuff and there's punchy in the window yeah. and all that stuff instead it's a party scene and we're wrapping up this plot about bond which girl is he gonna choose it's at sanchez's house yeah and oh, it's like it? yeah exactly it's <laughs> yeah. it's very strange it's a very strange ending to a movie like this and it could have worked better had it ended with him with felix or something like that would have been i think more impactful him going to the hospital and visiting his buddy and saying hey dude i got him i got him and felix is like <sighs> you know we have that emotional moment instead he's like hey we're gonna go fishing <laughs> yeah what if the ending was Bond having words or maybe no words with Felix Leiter, like just a moment of, of you know, your your wife has been avenged and, uh, you know, they smile at each other um, or some something, maybe even something that that harkens back to their first meeting uh, in Dr. No. And uh, he le- as he's leaving the hospital, you know, uh, him and and maybe uh you know bill tanner or somebody you know they stop him and bond looks at him and says uh you know am i under arrest and uh M says we'll talk about it back in london and then as he exits the hospital to signal to bond fans around the world that that bond is back that we're getting the traditional bond back he pulls up in the Aston Martin db5 and the window comes down and we don't know who's in the car and sure enough it's pam and Bond gets in the car and drives off into the sunset. What an ending that would have been instead of Bond jumping into the pool and, and dealing with some soap opera garbage of, of I'm in love with him. No, I'm in love with him. And that would have been perfect. That would have, it would have made, yeah. you know, you would have got it. You'd been like, great. Bond has been reinstated. Yeah. We want to know that things have gone back to normal, that, uh, that, that Bond is being received as a hero for taking, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in the same way that in um, in A View to a Kill, it was the Russians who wanted to give Bond the medal. With this, you know, you would think that him taking down Pablo Escobar would, would you know, the president of the United States would probably want to celebrate that and all that. Not that we needed to see those things. My point being that instead we have a party at Pablo Escobar's house. And it feels very off. Well, yeah. I mean, Lupe ends up with a corrupt president. I do appreciate the, you know, I, I, you know, who doesn't love the moment where he jumps into the pool and then pulls her in. You have a little romantic moment, but there's no overall resolution so far as Bond is re-entering his his career. I love these personal stories with Bond where we can just, 
you know, forget all the normal stuff. Again, that's why I love the man with the golden gun. Forget mm-hmm. Bond's career and let's focus on the personal. Here we have the personal, but we do need to be reinstated into his career as he goes back to work. And we don't have that. I do wonder if that was going to be something had Dalton continued. Mm. Because, again, there's going to be there's a huge gap between this movie and the next film. There's a very long gap. We will talk about that. But Mm. uh, compared to what we've previously seen. But I do wonder, had they were like, yeah, next two years, we're going to have the next Bond movie. Had maybe they started the next movie off as Bond still a rogue agent and kind of shifted the series into a different aspect because at that time I don't know if spy movies were the thing and obviously we'll get into the next film that could have that's been a awesome. thing that would that's awesome you know that's that could have awesome. been a thing and that and now it's yeah. it's not a it's now the franchise has changed where he's a rogue imagine agent. the sacrifice this sacrifice is that for his buddy Felix he was willing to give up his entire career. And they could you always know, they could always have said, you know, they could have gone that trajectory and then they said, oh, well, this next movie at the end of it, he gets reinstated or whatever. You know, yeah. that could have been the thing. You have to re-earn your stripes to get back in. We're going to send you on this crazy there, mission. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot that could have been done there. And because we're entering this with this movie, we're entering the territory of, well, shit, we ran out of books so we could do whatever we want. With this character, we can do whatever we want. And that's why I applaud this movie for doing something different as opposed to let's come up with another The Spy Who Loved Me style plot of, you know, a bad guy has some nukes and wants to destroy the world. Oh, my God, we've been there. We've done that. Let's do something different. And that's why I think this movie's great. That coupled with the personal quality to it. I love the and the and the violence. It's, it's a, it, there's so much to appreciate in this movie. Uh, but it does have those weird, um, I mean, again, going back to my ranking, I can't poke any holes in from Rush With Love. Except for Red Grant selling out! I can poke a lot of holes in Goldfinger, and fuck you guys for making me put that at the top, but uh, from Rush With Love is is just perfect. I mean, even the one thing you pointed out, McCurdy, way back was, well, the the uh, the gypsy scene doesn't need to be in there, but there, it... There is value to that scene. So overall, I can't poke any holes in From Russia With Love. Uh, and that's where, um, as much as I love this as an action movie, I can't, you know, pulling out my favorite phrase, outclass, I can't, oh, I just can't put it above From Russia With Love. I can't do it. I want to, because this movie's so great, but I can't, I just... Nikolai, I'm sorry. This is your number one. I'm sorry, but I just can't put up a from Rush with Love. I can't do it. No, that's fine with me. <laughs> and I, yeah, and I, I go home and I'm like, yeah, I, I think the, I think the personal story works really well. I, I think it's as long as it's in the pantheon of the Bond films, it's not the all be all film, but it's yeah, it's a, it's a well told told action revenge plot story it just so happens to be james bond and that's what feels weird about it but also good yeah but at the same time that is why this movie's so enjoyable because it is a uh, 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 it does pull away from the norm that's why i appreciate it i will always appreciate movies with smaller more personal stakes when bond keeps it real yes because they're interesting they are interesting because most of these movies as like Bond formula wise, 
this movie pulls away from the Bond formula beautifully. As much as it makes it a different movie entirely, I dig that. I dig that. I like it. <laughs> so anyway, so let's let's just we all agree. Let's lock it in at number three. Goldfinger still at number one from Russia with Love. Number two, Welcome, License to Kill. Timothy Dalton really hitting high marks compared to The Living Daylights. Anyway, Spire Love Me, The Man with the Golden Gun, Dr. No, A View to a Kill, For Your Eyes Only, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, Thunderball, Octopussy, The Living Daylights, Live and Let Die, Moonraker, Diamonds Are Forever, You Only Live Twice. That's 16, fellas. Can't believe we're here. How many more? (laughs) We have hit modernity. Nine more? (laughs) But we have finished an era. Like we it took for it's weird because it takes forever to get through more. Because it's more is like two eras. Because you're going through more the films trying to do whatever's cool in the 70s. And then John Glenn enters the fold, and then it's John Glenn and let's remake these movies. And then we get to Dalton. So it just feels like it takes forever just to get to this point. But I feel like once you get to Pierce and Craig, it feels more like smooth sailing. We're going to enter the era of movies I've seen. Granted, not since I was a kid. We're not going to have uh, gut reaction. Well, we'll still have gut reaction Nans, but we won't have first time gut reaction Nans. It'll be first time in 20 years. It's like I haven't (laughs) watched this in a while. This is, again, how I feel about this one and all this. Yeah, and and then meanwhile, I'm like, I watched GoldenEye yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) It's the best movie. It's so good. Foreshadowing. So um, anyway, uh, to reiterate what I said earlier, Watching these movies, watching these Dalton movies after rewatching again, this is the first time in my life of of watching them all in order and really scrutinizing them. Right, I may have yeah. watched them in order at some point, but not like this, not like the way we've been doing it. And by the time you hit Timmy Timmy Bond, ah, oh, like I said with the Living Daylights, just what a ah, oh, what a just give the guy. Give the guy Thunderball. I'm looking at the list right now. Give the guy give the guy Moonraker. Give the guy any movie that was an Ian Fleming book and he would rock it. But instead, we only got these two. And as much as The Living Daylights kind of floundered for us, License to Kill just comes back with a vengeance and um, Bigger take it away, McCurdy. He comes let's in just, for revenge. Let's just appreciate Timmy Bond. He's just so awesome. He needs to avenge the... Living Daylight's ranking we gave him. Yes. Yeah. I have a personal vendetta. Let me do one better. <laughs> Let me do another one. Let me do one more better. So, I do. yeah, I do think it's unfortunate he didn't get to do more. Uh, it's interesting compared to, well, we'll, find, I'll, I'll, we'll talk about it in GoldenEye. A lot of it had more to do with timing than anything. I also do think that Timothy Dalton wasn't somebody who really was that passionate. Like, I think... If you listen to Pierce Brosnan talk about being James Bond, that guy wanted to be James Bond, like really, really wanted to be James Bond. Yeah. Mm. Timothy Dalton, on the other hand, I think he was an actor, thespian first, and then he was like doing these movies and things. So I don't think he really was that gun ho about being James Bond. I think we'll see that our next James Bond definitely really wanted to be James Bond. 
All the same, Timmy Bond deserved better, and yeah. I want to just I visit. I want to Rick and Morty style visit that universe where he got a couple of more movies and just there. There was this possibility of them doing a third movie. Imagine and this guy in on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Imagine Timmy Bond. Yeah, in Honor Majesty's and I think I think I think talking about that movie, it's like George Lazenby definitely didn't have the chops that some of these other Bonds did for various yeah. reasons we've talked about. But you, you don't miss him as much. You're like, yeah, Lazenby was. You kind of when you watch that movie, you're like, he wasn't as bad as I think people think he is right off the bat. And he has a very interesting story about how he's becoming Bond. But you're not like thinking, what if he did the next movie? You don't really think about that. But Dalton, yeah. you're always thinking. What if Dalton did a third one? You know, it's just kind of uh, sucks. And a fourth, and a fifth, and a sixth, just, and a seventh. Like I, like I said, he is, he's probably the best actor to, to take on the role. And, uh, and I, I, I keep teasing this. I will, by the, when we get to Craig, I'm going to go through my whole, my thoughts on all the Bonds and, and how they all uh, have their own flavor. Right. I keep saying that the character of Bond is always the same, but the actors have their their own flavor. And I'll lay that out once we have all our Bonds assembled. But in the meantime, um, yeah, let's just... Dalton is Rocky Road? <sighs> Cookie dough? Sure. <laughs> I, like, I like Rocky Road. Marge like Moore is like cake, confetti. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what... what uh, don't, are we talking about ice cream Rock? flavors and James yeah, Bond? Yeah, we're talking about ice cream flavors. Yeah. <laughs> Moose tracks. Uh, no. What's like an old person that flavor? I like pralines and cream. That's probably old. He, like Roger Moore's rum raisin. <laughs> the, uh, uh, Sean Connery is pistachio. Just Sean Connery is like straight up chocolate vanilla swirl, man. Ooh. But that's that sounds like something you get at McDonald's. Maybe Sean Connery's something with like like Silky malt liquor and ice cream. Ooh, like <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's an alcoholic milkshake, yeah. is what he is. Hagen does. Yeah. What kind uh, of ice cream goes well with vodka? And and then and then George Lazenby <laughs> is also an alcoholic milkshake, but just with not as good ice cream or liquor. Yeah. We need to put more thought into this. Uh... We do. This is the stupidest conversation we've had. All right. Are we going to toast or what? Yeah. Yes. I'm, I keep trying to uh, prompt you to toast to Timothy D. You can toast. Timmy Bond, yo. Just, oh, I want no, oh, just, it's like, it's like in the same way that you just, oh, I want the Beatles to have, if only they would have one or two more albums, just one or two more. Just one. And with Timmy three. Bond, just, I just, oh, just one or two more movies would have been great, even if they were remakes. And, and I'm the first time ever I'm considering Honor Majesty's Secret Service and thinking, God damn, God damn, this guy should have been. The star of Honor Majesty Series. He did a great job. It's the best theatrical bond. He was the literary bond. Yeah, as everybody as, puts as it, some hipsters bond. would say. But I, I do uh, agree. I do agree with that assessment. It's a literary bond, but yeah. Cheers to Timothy Dalton. We hardly Timothy knew Dalton you as James Bond. To Timmy Bond, I miss you. Bye. He's not dead, right? But as a character.
I will remember you. Recording. You will remember me. This movie's a Corona. More like a Modelo Negro. They order Budweiser, though. Don't they order It was two like a Budweiser with lime. Like, yeah. What the hell? This movie is, is, is bar trash.